Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We are back on a Thursday on OutKick 360 from our beautiful, luxurious downtown Nashville 6th and Peabody studios with old smoky moonshine and yeehaw beer. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here. We are fired up. We are ready to bang some hats. We got a great show coming your way today. Coming up at 220, Trey Wallace from Outkick. We'll talk some SEC football with us. We've got Armando Salguero joining us at 320 to talk NFL. Four o'clock hour, going to be loaded. Dan Dockich at 4 p.m., followed by our NFL preview, continuing with the Raiders and the Chargers a little bit later. I got to 6th and Peabody a little bit early today to watch my cousin, Elisha Knight, playing the Little League World Series for D.C. on big ESPN on one of the biggest televisions in the city. Unfortunately, they got run-ruled by yeah. Pennsylvania. So uh, came in here to get ready for the show, and it was 13 nothing. It was uh, it was a good run, Paul, but uh, it ended in disappointing fashion, which which happens. One sometimes. step away from Williamsport, right? Yeah. Well, they're um, one step two away. Games away from yeah, one step away from playing Delaware for the to right to go to Williamsport. Yeah. But they got to the tournament that could have gotten them to Williamsport. Sad ending, but <clears throat> all of these teams, uh, you know, like in all of sports, when when you go home and get over the despair of losing what great memories and you know every little leaguer watches them with such jealousy oh, my kid sees highlights and he's like man i would kill to to have the opportunity to have gone there i mean i, I remember being a kid and just daydreaming watching it when it was on abc thinking imagine if you know but my little league made it this far and you're on television and yes when the sting of of losing that way wears off you realize that you were on an ESPN broadcast for a number of days and you had a professional announcer talking about you. I'm watching the game. They're talking about my cousin can make it around the bases. He's been clocked in 11 seconds and is the fastest player on the team. And I'm thinking, that's pretty cool that as an 11-year-old kid, you know, they're talking about that with you, that level of research. And just being able to go back years from now and see yourself on TV, you can't, can't replace that. Pretty yeah. cool. And those friendships are a big, big deal. I covered it once for, uh, for the New York Times when I was a clerk in Washington, and they gave me assignments. And uh, the team that won that year, the American side, was Northridge, California, which had Matt Castle on it. Wow. And uh, those kids, <clears throat> were their, their community was recovering from the earthquake, and their parents were all shoving them out of the house to go play baseball because they were dealing with insurance claims and clean up from what happened to their neighborhoods and their homes from that bad earthquake. And so those kids bonded over baseball while they were dealing with the recovery from that devastating earthquake out there. <clears throat> I actually did a sit-down with Matt Castle when he came and signed with the Titans. And I had newspaper clips where he, he was talking about his bat, Susan, look at her lovely curves, and <laughs> I want to be on Leno and Letterman and everything. When he was a brash 12-year-old 
after he came here to be uh, be the backup. Speaking of brash 12-year-olds, there's a kid for Pennsylvania uh, that I, I, I don't know his last name, but his nickname is The Bull. And he hit a home run <laughs> against D.C. And he rounds third, and he stops, and he puts up the bull horns and starts to kick his feet and kick the dirt back and then sprints through home like a bull charging a matador as his home run trot. And I, you know, my family texted me, man, that was a real cocky kid to do that. And I'm thinking, hit him. That's pretty awesome. Hit him. Hit him <laughs> I responded, I said, I'm not going to lie. That's a pretty great uh, celebration that kid's got. And he came into pitch also and was dominant. So really good player. When they rolled through all the old players that played in the tournament, you mentioned Matt Castle, but today I saw Jason Veritek as a kid, Cody Bellinger, um, Jurickson Profar for Curacao. I mean, going through all these players where they're just talking to the camera and introducing themselves. Pretty cool to see everyone who's gone through that tournament. Did I tell you about this pet that has wound up in my house? No. So I gave, you know, the green light on this puppy who's been with us for over a year now, uh, Ripley, a good little dog. Today he's actually laying on a cushion and not chewing it, which is a big advancement. But my kid went to the Williamson County Fair with two buddies the other day. A dad of one of these buddies was kind enough to drive them over there. He didn't go in with them. He just, I guess, did some work in his car and gave them a couple hours. It's a pretty good fair. It's not as good as the, what's yours? Yours is the, the fair of fairs, right? The, 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 the county fair in your county. Oh, yeah, Wilson County, Wilson fair, county fair, fair is the biggest in the state, bigger than the yeah. state fair, yep. But so he said there were limited games and not, not that many prizes and everything, but he came home with the damn goldfish. And I was like, why would you take the goldfish? <laughs> like, win the goldfish, but don't bring it home. And he's like, yeah, we'll just flush it. And we're like, we're not going to flush a living goldfish. It would have to die, and we're not going to kill it. So then, of course, his mother, you know, who's big on this, she goes out and she buys like a filtered tank and the gravel and a little like, you know, uh, a rainbow thing that goes in there. So we're now apparently a goldfish family. And I told I was giving it to Simon. I said, see that puppy over there? Like, remember a year ago when I gave approval to get the puppy on top of our elderly dog? We're a dog family, and we got, I got you the puppy. And now you're bringing home a goldfish yeah, that we have to take care of. That's a questionable decision. This was a decision. really bad move by you. And he said, my friends were taking theirs. And I was like, all you have to do is pass on the goldfish. Don't bring home the goldfish. You're not going to change the tank. Now you've given your I'm not touching it. So now you've given your mother something else to do. It's a bad, bad move. The goldfish, he's trying to name it something, and we're like, its name is Lucky, because it's lucky to be alive. It's lucky you brought him home, and he's not flushed down the toilet. I was hoping this story would end with, uh, with young Simon being just a pure sociopath, and just because his friends got one, he gets one too, and then just throws it out in the parking lot on the way to the car and watches it flop around and die and like the Faith No More down the gutter epic video from back in the home. day, old school MTV. Um, it looks good yeah. on the counter. It's a nice-looking tank with that gravel reflecting on the kitchen counter, but I don't want a goldfish. I promise we're going to get to the headlines, but this brings up the something to mind. You've been watching Mind Over Murder on HBO. Yeah, though I've stalled The docuseries. <clears throat> I finished it. Thankfully, they didn't spend too much time on the community theater production. Yeah, that was a weird the thing. But the final episode does get into like the highlights of some of it and all of them watching it being performed. Um, but there's a part where one of the women, spoiler alert, that you know gets released from jail after 17 years or whatever, she finally gets to buy a new house with some of the settlement money, and she buys this house, and the first thing she puts in is a fish tank, an aquarium, and she's, she's looking at it, and she's just sitting there staring, and 
She said, you know, they say fish are real soothing. It's a soothing creature that you just sit and watch. It's supposed to relax you. And she just sits on the couch and relaxes. You know, if a fish can relax someone who was wrongfully imprisoned for 17 years More and gets out, too. then maybe, you know, it can be good for they, the Kaharski family They should also. give that out. If it's to, good enough for her, Paul, it's good enough for you. They should you. give that out to somebody who's wrongfully imprisoned. A big, <laughs> big tank with a lot of fish. Is there a charity where you can donate your fish to those that were wrongfully imprisoned <laughs> well, for look, over a decade? I, I'm not against that big, cool tank with a lot of cool-looking fish in it. I mean, if that's your thing. That's not my thing. I have two dogs. Yeah. But certainly not well, a single goldfish is not my thing. No. Um, maybe pet maintenance is the reason that Tom Brady is stepping away from the team. We don't know. Here's what we do know. Tom Brady is leaving the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for, quote, a period of time dealing with, quote, some personal things. When I say, quote, I'm quoting head coach Todd Bowles. He also said they discussed this plan before camp that Tom wanted to come in and spend the first two weeks of camp with the team. Then he was going to take some time away to deal with personal things. He wanted to give Blaine Gabbert, Kyle Trask, Ryan Griffin some reps at quarterback. So gracious. He's going to come back after the next two preseason games. He'll miss the oh, one he's against Miami. Miss both of them. He's going to miss the one against the Titans. So he's not going to be here for the. He will not be here workouts. next week for the joint workouts. Um, that's the big news in Nashville for Titans. You know that wanted to get work against Tom Brady. He's not coming with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Paul, this all leads me. It's a, it's a big blow for the Titans, I think, and it just is. interest in the city of a joint practice because Tom Brady was the draw and he's not even coming. I also can't help but sit there and think, what could be the personal issue they're talking about that they won't just say what it is to leave the team? Well, he's very private. A lot of these guys are very private. I, I, but I, before, when it came out that he was leaving for a time, before it came out how long, I thought, well, his mother has been ill with That's cancer. Exactly what before, I thought. That she's it's come back, she's having surgery or something about that. But that that's such a finite period of time and such a long period of time, it makes me and that could still be it, something with one of his parents. But the way that's structured, it makes me feel like it's almost like a deal to just not participate in all the camp. Yeah, that's that's what I think too. And if that's the case, fine. Just admit that. Like I I just think you've added a layer of intrigue here where I don't think, knowing what we know about Tom Brady, there should be a lot of speculation. You wish him well. You hope everything's okay. It's not some health-related issue with him or a close family member. But, I mean, he could be moving his son into college and wanting to spend time with him for a couple of weeks or before he goes off to college. There could be any number of things that we would see and hear and think, okay, great. He's, he just celebrated his 45th birthday. Is anyone going to get mad if Tom Brady at 45 decided, I don't need to be there for all of camp. We planned this in advance. I'm going to take two weeks off to see family, to recharge, and then come back to get ready for the season? Or is that a bridge too far for him to admit to the public because his work ethic is so much that he would never want anyone even remotely thinking he's slacking off at all? Well, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt and think it's some family thing that he doesn't want to take public. But it does set off now the potential for wild speculation. And Hutton was hitting on this yesterday. Like, the level of secrecy about stuff is crazy. And now we're going to hear two weeks of wild speculation, or somebody's going to get it. Yeah, how quickly does like. someone get the story? Keep an eye on Jeff Darlington, who's, who's got a close relationship with somebody in the Brady camp. But uh, Brady's been able to keep things quiet 
to to the degree that he wants to control it. And so I think maybe he controls it and it doesn't come out. And I think the default speculation is going to be on his mom. Yeah, that, that's where my mind immediately went because I remember uh, the documentary, the docuseries, and his mom going through the cancer struggles and all of that. So my mind immediately went there. Again, I don't think that your mind should automatically always assume the worst and go to the worst possible place. But when you just roll it out there and it's silence and no one reports on it, which I think someone probably will at some point, especially if it's something involving a family member, um, it just leads to speculation where I feel like this is a situation we wouldn't need to speculate on if they just said what it was. Right. Well, and also the reason it goes to, to the negative and, and to his mom's health is because it usually takes something like that to pull a guy away from, from training camp. I think it's silly, personally, that, uh, that a guy generally can't leave camp for something other than uh, a dying or ailing parent. But that's generally how it works with the seriousness of an NFL training camp. Now, maybe Tom Brady is a special case there, and his kid going to college, like you mentioned, could be a thing where he could go spend some time with his family. But generally speaking, even if that would be okay for him, in the past, in the culture of it, you would say, well, it might be okay for me to go do that, but I couldn't do it because of my teammates. You know, and even still, I think that would be looked at as taboo. That's a reason you would keep it quiet outside of your super inner circle. But generally, it takes something big for even Tom Brady to disappear for even a couple days, better yet, a couple weeks. Well, and I'm watching the, the, the Captain, the Derek Jeter documentary, and I'm, I'm through, I think, episode five. There's one left that I have not seen. Talks a lot about his celebrity and how guarded he was and how he was a terrible quote because he was never going to give a reporter some, any type of distraction for his team. Um, and it, but that led reporters to dig and dig and dig more. Right, that's that was the side effect of that. I, I just, if you really want privacy for your family, I completely respect that. If you want to keep it personal and say personal reasons he's stepping away, I also think the unwanted side effect of that, if you're Tom Brady, is by not just admitting it, if it's something going on health wise, the family member or whatever it is. Again, just time away. If it's just that, if you don't just say it, it's going to lead to less privacy for you. Because more people are going to start digging now, and that's yeah, going to that could all end up inconveniencing sword. more of your family by not just saying. Because I really don't think it's anything earth-shattering as to why he's stepping away. But again, a story to follow. Paul, you mentioned Jeff Darlington, someone to follow on this story to see if he can break something. Someone's going to have the story. I feel like in the next day or two about why he's stepping away for personal reasons. Tonight, Field of Dreams game, six o'clock Central Time, seven o'clock Eastern on Fox. This was a huge hit last year. This was the most viewed regular season game since 1998. And that was during the home run chase with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And it was a was really good game. game. Nine Back to and eight. forth, finished in the ninth. Tim Anderson hit a home run, right? Uh, yeah. To end the game, nine to eight. Two contenders a year ago. Paul, this year we have two teams that are terrible in the Reds and the Cubs going head to head. Not a great pitching matchup in the game. The uniforms look terrific from, I think, 1914 and 1918, the, the two uniforms. Um, but going into round two of the Field of Dreams game, I, I know that Kevin Costner posted something on social media that they're going to honor the man who played Shoeless Joe Jackson in the movie, Ray Liotta, who recently passed away at tonight's game in some way in the pregame festivities. 
Um, I, I'm going to be watching. I loved it a year ago. It's something I'm probably going to tune into now every time it happens. What's your level of interest now, Paul, in this game? Uh, passing fancy. I, I, I mean, I just can't get into a baseball game that doesn't involve my team, generally speaking. Maybe some playoffs. but um, I'll, I'll, You know what I'd like to see tonight? The ratings for the pregame. Yeah. And everything they do with the teams walking out of the corn and all that. And if and Kevin then, Costner's there. And then see the drop-off once the Reds and Cubs start playing. Yeah. And that's what I'll look at it for, the, the setting. Yeah. Me too. I want to see the setting, and then um, I don't and the uniforms. To be frank, and I'm not that uh, not that much of a uniform guy, but I uh, have great affection for the movie and the look of the place and the feel of it. But after that, uh, you know, maybe I'll flip back to it in between whatever. Uh, and well, and I, I've got a Titans game tonight, yeah. so I I can only flip over. Well, the look and the feel of it is about to change starting in 2025. We mentioned it yesterday. Frank Thomas actually broke this news. Uh, he's a part of the Fox coverage, but he's also a part owner in the complex in Dyersburg, Iowa, where this is played, the Field of Dreams complex. The game next year is probably not happening because of construction. That's leading to something, Paul, coming in 2025. For two years, uh, the game's probably not happening because they're turning it into this. And this is pretty magnificent, and I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't gone this direction um, and so it, 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 this includes a hotel complex. And uh, so if you look to the, to the middle of the screen, by the way, the this left, is a huge baseball complex with multiple diamonds. Yeah. And we're showing the master plan. So on this picture, um, there is a small field on the far left side, away from the big complex. That's the movie field. Um, and on the other side, two, four, six, seven, eight, Nine, ten field complex, maybe more. Um, the the game the game field that they'll play on tonight, kind of central and isolated a little bit. I have to say, like I understand the business of this. This totally takes away the charm to me of what they'll be doing tonight. And so, in many ways, as much as we liked this thing last year, and we're looking forward to it tonight. Tonight may be it for me feeling any kind of sentimentality out of, out of it because it's about a field in the middle of nowhere. And when we come back in 2025, it's not in the middle of nowhere anymore. There's a hotel complex and a dozen fields around it. Now, the, what I'm looking at right now, the hotel complex, is not some high-rise. I think the, the thing that would take away from it the most is some building you know, eight stories or taller that is on the, the eye line behind the park when you're watching the game. So everything seems to be pretty flat. Well, there also could be something out of that picture. And I don't, I don't imagine it being eight stories, but I could see four stories. I, I, I don't have a huge issue with it. I wish there was a little bit more separation of corn to field. You know, there's, there's uh, really diminishing the corn element to it. Right, you could play in a field there and not feel like you're in Dyersburg, Iowa. If you're, a, a kid's yeah. tournament or whatever. Yeah, so that, that part I don't love. I wish it was just a little bit more buffer of corn between the two Every parts field. of it. I understand what they're trying to do, and I think it's smart to bring it kids' tournaments there and, and do all of that. But um, I'm just glad there's no, there's no high-rise Field of Dreams hotel going up that what you're going to see from here on out if the Major League game is played there, you'll see a guy at bat, and then behind right center field, in the distance, you're going to see some high-rise in yeah. the middle of a cornfield. Yeah, don't ruin the sight. Out of nowhere. Line. That, that but, would not be But good. the outfield of, 
If you're going there now, put it back up for a second if you guys can. If you're going there now and taking a picture from home plate of the movie field, the background has, yeah, the background is going to have some of these fields and a lot of lights. Uh, you know, if you're taking a picture at dusk, playing catch with your dad, which is the first thing you would do if you went there is have a father-son catch. That's what the movie is about. The background is now not the same. I wonder if uh, Trey Wallace gets together with his dad and has a father-son football toss when he sees him. We'll find out that and much more. Trey Wallace from OutKick. We're going to talk SEC football. Plenty of headlines to discuss across the Southeastern Conference. We'll hit all of them with Trey Wallace of OutKick when we come back. This is OutKick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Welcome back, Outkick 360, across the Outkick network. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Chad Withrow. On a Thursday, great lineup ahead, and we kick that lineup off with the always terrific Trey Wallace of Outkick.com, college football writer, SEC extraordinaire on with us right now. Trey, thanks for hopping on with us. I want to start with the Big Ten news this week with the television deal. I really enjoyed your piece about what this means for the SEC now moving forward. And my takeaway from it is, I just don't see a scenario where the SEC sits back for a decade and allows the Big Ten to out-earn them in television money by more than $300 million, which that's the way you it's headed it. right now. So <laughs> what, what is the next move now for the SEC? I mean, it's crazy to think about it that, that the Big Ten, you know, that we won't get those games anymore when it comes to basketball, you know, uh, on the four letter network or, you know, when it comes to those, those primetime games uh, on ABC, but, but this is what's happening in, in college sports where you see that the big 10 is, is trying a different angle here. You know, with the sec, they went all in with, with ESPN, Disney, ABC, however you want to put it. Fox is trying to go this different route. They're, they're saying, okay, look, well, if it takes us, 
three different networks to get all of our products. And that doesn't matter what it is, basketball, soccer, football, it doesn't matter. If, if it takes three different networks, then we're going to do it. And, and what that means is more money for the conference as a whole, because when you look at it right now, negotiations that are going on, you know, Fox is going to have that, that, that premier package, you know, they're going to get that game of the week, but then you're looking at where CBS who guys since 1996 has been broadcast in the sec every weekend at three 30 or two 30, wherever you live at in the afternoon, that's now potentially going to switch over to, to the big 10 getting that game. And, and then, you know, they're smart about this by saying, okay, well, NBC, what if we decide we'd like to come over there with you guys too? What do you guys have to offer? Because you only have Notre Dame. So what if Notre Dame's playing an early afternoon game or something along those lines? And, and then you can throw another Big Ten game on at night. So I, I think this is very smart by what the Big Ten's doing. Now, the SEC's probably like, well, wait a minute here. Uh, did, did we – did we underscore ourselves here? Do we do, do we do we look at it and be like, okay, Texas and Oklahoma are joining? Maybe we go back here to the negotiation table and and try to figure out what some type of extra money towards that contract would look like with those two teams joining in a few years. Uh, it is it, to me, it's not surprising because of how many networks the Big Ten's trying to use. But the SEC, Chad, I agree, it's it's a little bit baffling a little bit shocking that they're going to come in a couple hundred million dollars under what the big Ten's going to get yeah and I, I look at it in just trying to digest the story my my first response is this is a, a win for the big 10 and this is a big day for them and not that it's a bad day for the sec but if you're the sec and, and you're trying to look at it and i'm not trying to put some uh false spin on all of this but I guess my question for you, Trey, or, or anyone that covers sports would be, what is the intangible and tangible value, even if it's not dollar for dollar, but of ESPN, the four-letter network, being the SEC network? And here's an example of what I mean by that. Tonight's biggest yeah. event is the Field of Dreams game. I went to ESPN.com today before the show. There's not one mention of the Field of Dreams game on ESPN's front page. Why is that? It's because it's on Fox, and they have the rights to it. So ESPN is going to self-promote properties they have. So what is the value of in every sports bar, at every airport, during the middle of the day, there's going to be ESPN on TVs with no sound on. And they're going to be talking about nothing but the SEC across college sports for the most part. What is the overall value of the next decade of that now that the SEC really has this unique one-way partnership with ESPN. You know, what? It, what's going to come interesting, we talk about football a lot, and I, and I completely understand that. But we also have to think about basketball. You know, the, the, the great Tuesday night games that we would get out of the Big Ten. And then sometimes that would be the early game, and then the SEC would roll on at like 9 o'clock Eastern. Or sometimes the SEC would be the early game, Big Ten would go after. So you're losing that property, that, that content, when it comes to basketball. So does ESPN come in and say, okay, Big 12, we really need you to, to continue rolling on with us. Let, let's agree to something where we can continue having enough content to air. Because but folks, are going, folks around the country and outside of the, the, the Southeastern Conference region, 
They're not going to want to tune in every Tuesday night or Saturday to see all day coverage of the Southeastern Conference. They're just not. They're going to want to spread things out. And, and Fox is making a smart decision when it comes to, you know, they'll be able to air different sports on FS1. Uh, they'll have the, the Fox primetime game. But I agree with you as a, as a whole. And, and just looking at ESPN and the SEC, you know, them putting on games on ESPN2 or the SEC Network, ESPN or ABC, you have to wonder how much of the public is going to buy in when it comes to ratings, Chad, on, on, on how this plays out as a whole. Because, you know, you, you might have an afternoon game, of, let's just say Arkansas versus Mississippi State or Arkansas versus LSU. But then maybe the Big Ten's coming back with a game like, I don't know, Ohio State, Michigan State, or you, you know, potentially throw in Michigan into the picture, which draws numbers and and any other, you know, Mel Tucker and what he's doing. So it, it it's going to be even with their 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 pregame show, Chad, like how's that gonna play out? Like if you if you we all we see it now where a lot of times if another network is broadcasting a high profile game, college game day will not go there. Fox does a decent job when it comes to their Big Ten kickoff or Big Noon kickoff, whatever you want to call it, and being able to be at different sites on the field and during the game. But they're not covering – they're not going to an SEC site. So you look at it, and I just – I'm trying to think of programming and what that's going to look like when you've got, you know, an ABC primetime game between, let's just say, Alabama, LSU that comes on to 8 o'clock. How much more are we going to see, and you talked about content-wise, on websites, on what they do with programming centered around the SEC and not covering maybe some of the other conferences as a whole? Because this is coming down to ESPN versus Fox. And whoever goes out and gets the Big Big 12 or the Pac-12 and can add that content is going to come out for the better at the end. So it makes for some intriguing arguments and and looking at it at a whole. Trey Wallace, Outkick's great SEC columnist, is our guest. Uh, Let's stick with one element of the the new Big Ten, Uh, Southern Cal. There's a collective at Southern Cal, student body right, that wants to, intends to, pay every football player what amounts to a base salary. The twist is that... Southern Cal's administration coaching staff does not want this to happen. This is a uh, interesting and uh, to me unforeseen twist on this whole uh, NIL deal. What do you foresee happening here? I mean, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of butting of heads when it comes to where money is going to go, what it looks like for the the regular player on the football team, maybe the second string offensive lineman when it comes to base pay during the year. You know, what can this group offer that the USC property kind of set up? I mean, USC was very hands-on in setting up the – the I, it's it's Boulevard, pretty much what it is. Uh, it's a company working with an outside media source as well uh, to be able to use NIL and to be able to find the right deals for that school or for those players. So you look at it and you have a third party that comes in, and, and we've seen the comments coming from the athletic department where there is friction, where they don't want this to come into play. And the reason why is because they can't control it. And, and that's not a bad thing. Look, having, having another collective on campus and having another, there's also a big difference too. Having another collective in a city like Los Angeles 
is a little bit bigger than having like, let's just say another collective in the city of Tuscaloosa or the city of Lexington. Like Los Angeles is huge. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of companies out there that are willing to help USC and, and especially donors and boosters that maybe don't get along with folks inside the athletic department. Yeah, you got, uh, you got Will Ferrell showing up to events possibly to promote this collective and Snoop Dogg. Right. It's a bit of a difference. Exactly. Exactly. So there, there's your difference. And when you look at this as a whole, I think this is going to end up playing out where, yes, it's going to be fought in the media. You're going to see money that's going to go towards players that this other university-type collective, Boulevard, has going on for them. But it's the same thing that you have with, 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 with Texas Tech. Um, you know, where they're offering players a, a base salary per year, pretty much is, is what I'm getting at around, you know, and even SMU where they came out, Chad and Paul, you guys saw it, where they're going to pay payers $36,000 a year. Um, and that's basketball and football. So I think this other collective at USC is like, well, wait a minute, we can get these guys more money. We're here to help. We're donors. We're boosters. We're trying to help the program. Why are you guys so pissed off about it? And I think it just comes down to them butting heads inside the athletic department. And uh, look, all these colleges want to at least have some kind of control when it comes to NIL. And I know there's a lot of colleges aren't, aren't allowed to have contacts with, with collectives and whatnot. And, but I think overall, we all know this, there's not a lot that goes on outside of a college football program that the people on the inside don't know about. So I think that's one of the big things. Yeah, and I fully expect this SMU-USC model of paying a salary to every football and basketball scholarship player. I think it's going to be implemented in over half of Power 5 conferences very soon but by collectives. You're going to see a lot of others follow up on this. Trey, how many other programs are going to follow up on what Mississippi State is doing right now with the BYOF approach? They have a part of their stadium that's bring your own fridge you can bring your own mini fridge full of your own beer, stash it, to go to Mississippi State football games. I applaud the creativity Bravo. to get people back in the stadium. Well, they did it, too, in sections. If you've ever seen Mississippi State Stadium, you know, they, they had the end zone, you know, the, the, with seats in the end zone. But then in the upper deck, they tried to switch it up, Chad, where they knew that they weren't going to be able to fill those seats. And they knew that the stadium was maybe a little bit too big when it comes to capacity. Okay, well, what can we do to attract families and to attract people that are going to bring six to eight people and maybe not just buy two tickets? Well, let's set up an area where they can stand around or they can bring lawn chairs. They can bring their own small refrigerator. They're giving them power outlets. They're letting them come in a day before the game. It's just like a, it's almost like a suite at a college football game where you're allowed to go in the day before set up what you want when it comes to drinks and whatnot and food, but this kind of takes it to another level. I mean, you've got your own little section outside. Uh, you can set up like a tent. There's a shaded area. It's very smart on Mississippi State and some of these schools to find different ways that they can attract more fans because a lot of these folks are wanting to throw a, throw a house party and have people come over and watch it on their 70 or 80-inch screen. But now you're drawing folks in, be like, okay, wait a minute. We can all hang out. We can be at the game. We can hop over to our refrigerator if we want to bring it, pack our own type of drinks, and, and we're settled. So I think it's smart by these schools to do it. And I expect a lot more 
to try to build things like this. We've seen stuff like this at LSU. We're starting to see something like it at Tennessee with this party deck type of deal with, with general admission. And, you know, you can't bring in your own refrigerator or lawn chairs or whatnot, but you're starting to see schools try to come up with different ways to attract fans. And I applaud Mississippi state for doing this because it's going to help in the long run. We were talking yesterday, uh, Trey, and I guess a lot of fans still don't get why this is important or, or we'll never give in to it. But, uh, Chad and Hutt were both digging to try to find some stuff on, on Missouri. And, and the lack of coverage of Missouri uh, was an issue. And then how little many people on the beat see of, of a lot of programs that have plenty of coverage. Uh, there's just so little to be found out during these, what is it, 25 practices before a season starts? Yeah, that Missouri beat's not as big as the Tennessee beat, Trey. <laughs> I guess is what I was getting at no. with that. It's hard to find any no. info. But even on Tennessee, you're leaning on VFLs who are seeing the practices or the stuff that Tennessee puts out yeah. itself. Thankfully, they're putting out a Hendon Hooker interception or you might not know anything about it. It's a, it's a tough job for this month. Nobody's going to cry a river for you, but... It, it, it is, in a sense, if you don't have sources within the programs. So, like, you know, if, if you don't have people you built up relationship with that, okay, and, and you know, we're kind of going behind that fourth wall of telling how things are done here, but why not? I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, you, you build up relationships with people. You have sources inside the program. You can talk to people that were at practices, and, and that's where you get a little glimpse of it. You don't put everything out there, okay? But, but there's also a big difference in how many people are covering Missouri football compared to when I walked into Tennessee's media day, was it a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, uh, there were over 30 media members there. Um, when it comes to Missouri, I don't, you know, I don't know the exact number, but looking at their beat and knowing who covers the team, I would imagine there's, there's not over eight people there per day. So, you know, you, you look at it as a whole and trying to find information out and whatnot, too. It's a lot difficult, you know, as well, because, you know, coaches want to try to keep things under wrap. And, you know, like here in Knoxville, you could show up for the first two periods and, you know, pretty much it's them warming up and then it's the quarterback throwing on air. It's not much you can gain from that. So you have to rely on people that you have relationships with to find out, OK, which player was hurt, who was not out there today. Um, and, and that's stuff you can find out at first, too, but you really want to dive in more deep. I get it. it, it the college football – look, Alabama will not allow you to go watch practice. Nick Saban does not allow media members to go out. Not, I'm talking about even warming up. Yeah, not stretch. You don't get to stretches. watch stretches there, right? No, you don't get to watch anything. They put out a B-roll video package, and they'll send you some photos of stuff that they cut up and stuff that they want you to see. And you see that there's a couple other schools that do that in the Southeastern Conference, but a, a good amount. In Missouri, you know, you've got reporters that, that get to go watch scrimmages, and it's because they want their product being put out there um, in, into the landscape. And you saw that yesterday, Paul, when Missouri named Brady Cook their starting quarterback. And, and, and you know what? Drinkwood said, screw it. I'm coming out and saying it now. We're getting this over with. Let's stop the speculation. But I agree. There is a big difference on, on how things, not the coverage, because I know some really good guys that cover Missouri, you know, and, and some of these other schools. But it's such a big difference between those schools compared to Alabama, LSU, 
Tennessee and whatnot. So there is a line there. Trey, one last one for you on the field, sticking with Alabama, JoJo Earl, talented receiver, Jones fracture in his foot. He's out six to eight weeks. If you're really digging for a possible question mark on this Alabama roster, I guess it's a receiver because they're replacing so many great guys You know, from a year ago, too. Guys, one went in the first round, the other went in the second round in Williams and, and Mechie. Uh, how big is that loss for Alabama, or are they still so deep in talent at that position that it's not going to be a big difference? You know, it honestly depends on really how long he's going to be back. If they can get through the first few weeks of September, get through that Texas game, which I think they will, um, then I think they're going to be okay. Now, if it goes a little bit deeper, if he re-aggravates it, you have to start looking at depth here. And, and we see it every year. You know, there's an Alabama receiver that pops up out of nowhere, and you're like, damn, where did he come from? But they they lost Jamison Williams. They lost John Mechie. When you lose – I mean, the year before, they lost Devontae Smith. So when you lose players like that and, and, and you're trying to rebuild it, you know, Nick Saban, he's got an arsenal full of receivers, but he doesn't have an arsenal full of receivers that have a lot of playing time. So that's something to keep an eye out on. But you know what? I I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be fine. It just depends on how long he's going to be out. Uh, If it stretches into late October or mid-October, then you got to start worrying about some depth maybe at that position, Chad. I'm having flashbacks of Ja'Cory Brooks, speaking of coming out of nowhere, against Auburn (laughs) uh, with with the big game and the big catch. Trey Wallace, always big at Outkick.com, big with us as well. Trey, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks. Guys, have a great weekend. Thank y'all. Speaking of big, Vaughn Grissom of the Braves had himself a big night in his major league debut where he started the day in double-A Mississippi, and he finishes the night being interviewed by the Braves broadcast after something enormous happened in the game with the Green Monster. We'll discuss when we come back. This is Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back on Outkick 360 live downtown Nashville, 6th and Peabody Studios. They're friends at Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kaharski's here. Jonathan Hutton will be back with us on Monday. He is on special assignment over the next couple of days. Vaughn Grissom, second baseman, now of the Atlanta Braves. He got a special assignment yesterday. Orlando Arcia uh, pulled his hamstring on Tuesday night at Fenway Park in extra innings. So the Braves, who are already down Ozzie Albies, who's not coming back until sometime in September, um, they lose Arcia. So I'm immediately thinking Robinson Cano didn't work out, and they sent him away. So the Braves called up young Vaughn Grissom, 21 years old, from AA Mississippi. Uh, He gets to Boston. 
He uh, apparently grew up loving uh, Fenway Park, and there was some backstory about him at Fenway Park as a kid. So this is his first game at Fenway, first at bat. I think he grounded into a fielder's choice. Second at bat, he struck out. Third time up was seventh inning, and he crushes a two-run home run over the Green Monster on to um, – what is the street Waveland? behind there? No. Lansdowne. Lansdowne. Lansdowne Street Waveland, is where it Chicago. went. Um, it was quite the blast, Paul. It's really cool. I mean, regardless – and I'm a Braves fan, but regardless of the team, the family flies in from – or he's from the Orlando area – Flies in, I think it was his mom, dad, and maybe his girlfriend or sister. Couldn't tell. That's a popular game on Outkick 360. Yeah. Girlfriend or sister. Don't know. I even a saw tough them, game. I even saw them interact after the game. Still don't know if it's a girlfriend or sister. Based yeah, on usually that's a giveaway, but yep. in this instance, C- couldn't no tell. Tip. She was looking lovingly at him, but couldn't tell if it was girlfriend or sister. Uh, but Von Grissom, really cool story watching that take place this last night. This was an unbelievable a swing. And, uh, you know, you know how big the the homer is when the people sitting on top of the monster rather than like anticipating it might be catchable are just tracking it going over their head and onto the street a, a true bomb uh you know you're looking at it as a Braves fan I hate the Braves and it's a great moment um it, it was just cool. a terrific swing and uh you know we were talking about these little leaguers and moments they'll never forget certainly something uh, he and that organization will always remember. What was really cool, did too, they win was that game? they did. They won 8-4, to four, so they swept in, I love in the Braves losing. I love the Red Sox yeah, losing. They, they swept a two-game series in, in Fenway. Um, the post-game interview, I'm watching. He's so much like a little kid. I know, when he's talking about everything, he's just so giddy. And he even told uh, the interviewer after the game, and I, I was watching it live, he said, you know, what, what was that moment like? And he said, honestly, I blacked out until I crossed first base. Like I hit it, I knew it was gone, and I don't really remember much until after crossing first base. And he said, then I get in the dugout and they do the silent treatment. And I, I knew that was a thing, but I wasn't really thinking. I'm thinking, oh man, this is the way it works in the majors. I hope they don't take too long to celebrate with me because I was so jazzed up. He was pacing in the dugout afterward. Uh, and then the a player came by, I think Marcelo Zuna, knocked his hat off during the interview. And he, I mean, he was loving every minute. But think about this also. 20, he just turned 21 recently. He now goes to Fenway, hits his first career hit as a home run. He flies to South Beach for a day off. The Braves play in Miami, and uh, credit Skip Carey for bringing this up. said, not a bad place to have your first day off in the majors on South Beach as they have today off, and they play in Miami against the Marlins starting tomorrow. Could have been going to Iowa. Yeah, not, not bad at all, but they get a day off right after that. Pretty cool. Different life on the road as a part of the Mississippi Braves as opposed to the Atlanta Braves. And I think young Von Grissom's about to find that out. Headlines coming up next. This is Outkick 360.